Hey, this is Matt Sorum from Velvet Revolver, The Cult, and Guns N' Roses. And you're listening to Your Morning Coffee with host Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. From Chartmetric, the six-month report, Breakthrough Music Artists and Tracks. From Billboard, the changing world of ANR. And from Symphonic, everything you need to know about NFTs. Oh, mm. we'll go on and on and on about that stuff. So we've got a lot more okay. and lots of cool stuff to cover. This is episode number 78 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Kick back, relax, because here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 For the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Good morning to you, Jay. Good How are morning you? to you. Uh, on a Sunday, we usually do this on Saturday mornings, but uh, we're doing it on Sunday like we used to uh, a long time ago. Um, speaking of a long time ago, we're, we're coming up on our episode number 100 um, this summer. That will be kind of fun. Um, we sh- <laughs> we're already talking about doing something kind of uh, special. And I don't know if you knew this, but when we get to August, you and I all have been doing this for two years and it just goes so fast and, and, and we talked about it for a couple of months really beforehand and and we would we experimented with a couple of ways of doing it and um you know it's it's uh and we've i don't i mean you do another podcast I do. as well I do. and um in fact it's worth mentioning that your other podcast uh the music biz weekly podcast it was uh the source did a, they did a, a listing of the of the um the the podcast that you should subscribe to as an independent artist, uh, the top 10 music podcast that you should subscribe to as an independent artist. And there you were, Jay Gilbert, yeah. the Music Biz Weekly podcast with uh, Michael Brandford. Yeah. So you guys were... Well, we've been doing that one for a while. You know, we we passed episode number 500 uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> That's, that is mind-boggling. Uh, and I, I just love that, you know, so much. I mean, when when you do these kinds of things and you enjoy them, it's, it's really not work. And that podcast is really for DIY do-it-yourself uh, musicians and you know it's there's a lot of tutorials and a lot of conversations uh, from you know people to help DIY artists so a little bit different than this one but I, I've had so much fun doing uh, this one with you and I, I, I can't believe that we're we're coming up on uh, on, on 100, 100. That's, that's it's crazy well and and we've we've, we've 
we both know this statistic, which is the average podcast yeah. only lasts for seven episodes. And, That's right. You know, when you when you decide to do a podcast, you better make the commitment, and uh, it's a fun right. commitment, but it is a commitment nonetheless. Yeah, and to be fair, there are podcasts that are only meant to go seven or eight. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite ones was Wind of Change. What an amazing, amazing podcast, and. It, it uh, talks about the Scorpion song, Wind of Change, yes. and how there were rumors flying around that the CIA was involved. And, you know, it is, and the guy that went into it was kind of skeptical, like, what? This doesn't sound right. But it is so entertaining and so enjoyable. And there's one episode on my friend and longtime client, Doc McGee, which is uh, absolutely amazing. So I highly recommend that one. There was one I listened to a while back called... Um, uh, down the rabbit hole, I think it was called, and it was a New York Times one, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I don't get this wrong, but it was really all about how the internet can suck you in to believing radical things. Mm. And it talks about the guy who put together the YouTube algorithm and how that was designed and how it was modified and how, and well, they interview some people that were just, you know, your normal average people and they got pulled into some radical views and it shows how they get in there and how an algorithm will start feeding you things based on what you're searching on and what you're spending time with. And one of the people in there was out of work for a little while and he, he watched a little too much YouTube and you know, anyway, there, there's a lot of great episodic, um, podcasts out there but you're right kind of the average of seven and uh, they said it wouldn't last mike <laughs> and yet here we, here we are, are for crying out loud by the way the guy that i get to speak with every week uh, and of course they said it wouldn't last but yet here we are he is none other than jay gilbert he is the curator of the your morning coffee newsletter which you better know by now is weekly music news for the new music business and a former executive with the universal music group sony music group and the warner music group Thank you, sir. And, and the gentleman things. sitting across from me uh, virtually is longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, uh, Mike Etchart, uh, formerly of SST Records, also Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Yes, indeed. And by the way, you know, we get to do this every week, but we have help, Jay. We have a lot of help. So we should certainly... Yeah, great sponsors. Oh, we really do. So do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? I think you should start. Okay. Well, The, no. the Music Business Association? Yeah, that's, you should do that one. Okay, I'll do that one. Uh, Music Business Association is uh, a new sponsor of ours, and I've been going to this conference for 20 years, back when it was NARM, and Portia and her team have really turned the corner on this Music Business Association because it's now including everything from physical retail, which it should, you know, um, independent retailers, um, national accounts, Amazon, but also DSPs, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer. The four-day Music Biz uh, 2022 conference agenda has just been announced, and it's taking place May 9th through 12th at the JW Marriott in Nashville. I will be there. I hope you will, too. Uh, Along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit, uh, Next Gen U, uh, DSP Workshops, uh, which we've uh, actually sponsored in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, the Brand Summit, um, just to name a few. And you'll find some new additions for 2022, including uh, conversations on NFTs, gaming, and immersive music experience, catalog acquisitions, which has been hot, uh, and much, much more. So visit musicbiz.org. 
Excellent. And you know, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send new newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, MORNINGCOFFEE, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Yeah, we need to thank our friends over at HypeBot. I'm a huge fan of HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited uh, daily by uh, founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha, Bands in Town. Over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform, connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. So big thanks to Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, HypeBot, and Bands in Town. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Jay, Appreciate what do you it. say we jump into the show? Uh, let's jump into yeah. the pool. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, before? Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, before we jump in, you and I were talking before we hit record, just about all this uh, news this last week about Spotify, Neil Young, and Joe yes. Rogan. And there were so many different stories. I mean just dozens of them. It was really difficult. So I put a special section in your morning coffee this week with about a dozen stories that I felt had a different take on what's been going on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe Daniel X response, maybe from the independent artists, how hard it is to boycott um, Spotify. And even if you should, and you know, what's happening with the backlash? Is it boosting streaming at their rivals like Amazon and Apple? You know, and there's just so many different takes on this that I had to have this special section with all these stories. And I know it's a bit overwhelming, but I thought, you know, maybe you and I could just kind of touch on that really quickly before we dive in. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I it, it got me thinking this week, because you and I have spoken a number of times about kind of behemoth companies that you thought would would be around forever. So, uh, you know, like AOL, like MySpace, MySpace. you know, things, sites like that, we thought... iTunes. It, it, well, yeah, when you're in the middle of it, uh, the, the notion that AOL could disappear as they were buying Time Warner at the time was just unthinkable and yet unfathomable and yep. AOL still exists, yeah. but it is, it is a, a, a shell of what it was. And this thing got me thinking about, you know, the notion that, that Spotify could disappear is, is completely unthinkable. However, you reckon, you know, with, with this whole thing with Joe Rogan, it, it brought a lot of things into focus. And we've talked about this before. One of which, you know, Apple Music, do they need the music service to 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 survive? They'll be perfectly fine if they decided to get into that business. Amazon, things like that. You know, th Google. The, Google, these companies, music is, a, is but a small part of their 
portfolio of ecosystem things. yeah however exactly. our friends at spotify that is all they do and of course the reason that this has this uh, flap has come up in in is in no small part because they wanted content that they owned which is why they're they've put all of their all of this money and and interest in podcasts hence the mm -hmm. joe rogan thing they gave him what 100 million dollars to, to 100 million dollars yes exactly and so because they they license all their music so you know they're they're in a position that that other comp other um, uh, music services are not in in that this is the and they've been only doing pretty well at it right well. I mean they passed Apple which we never thought would happen that's as right the number one destination for podcasts but when you when you saw this thing start with artists subjecting to something that they have a, a podcast on in this case Joe Rogan of course um, it 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 made me start thinking you know what if what if this would have been a bigger brouhaha than it was and what if what if maybe taylor swift jump into the fray and said i want my music taken down or drake did what if what if a bunch of what if this really caught fire it would really put them in a bad place and could it yeah. br could it bring the company down maybe you know it's, it's well we already know it's it's affected um the value of the price, company yeah got hit uh, with a $2 billion uh, decrease, which is not nothing. And and Daniel Eck mentioned something, or somebody on his team mentioned in one of these articles, that it, it they, they were slow to respond, mm -hmm. number one. And number two, that you start getting these artists uh, that pull off the platform, then your promise of all of the music in one place mm -hmm. kind of goes out the window but there's also you know for a while the music industry especially record labels if you said that you work for a record label um it was almost like ew really <laughs> you know it, they they you know especially post napster days and mm -hmm. it was like almost an anti-record label uh era for a while you don't want to be in that spin and i think the problem with responding so late and Spotify recognizes this, is that they couldn't control the story. And by the time they started pulling these episodes off from Joe Rogan and others, it was too late. People had already yeah. dropped. And it's not just the artists. I read this piece on all of these fans, uh, music fans, that are just canceling their subscription yeah. and going somewhere else. And you and I talked about that before. And I think it was fair that we thought that it would take a lot to get somebody to leave, say, Spotify for Amazon or Amazon for Apple Music. Once you kind of get in and build your playlists and do that, yes. I didn't see a reason why someone would, and then this reared its ugly head. Right. And then, and of course, that's that's its own mishigosh, the whole thing with with uh, their, their the content that they own and they're putting up on podcasts and then the, the friction with artists. But then the other sort of thing with artists is the artists then potential friction with their labels. So obviously Neil Young, as we talked about last week, he he is, you know, in the in the Warner family. Having you, we both worked there. He is really uh, very unique in that so many artists in the day signed to Warner Reprise because Neil Young was on the label, and you know, and and Warner Warner Reprise has always been a very well historically has always been a very artist friendly label and so but as we talked about before we before we hit record um some labels some artists wanted to jump off and join the 
party on this, but their label said, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> that's not going to happen. And so and let's clarify that just really quickly. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is when you uh, are an independent artist, you can do whatever you want. But when you sign with a label, um, they're the rights holder now. Mm -hmm. And they have an agreement with Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer to deliver all of their music. So even with Warner Reprise, they had to reach out to Spotify and kind of negotiate that too. Spotify could have easily said, no, you're under contract and we're going we're gonna to keep it up. Um, but here's the thing that I was hoping wouldn't happen, um, and it looks like it is happening, and that is that it, this is becoming bigger and not going away. Yeah. Last week you asked me, like, how long do you think it might be before you know Neil's back on? And, and I think we both thought that this will blow over. A lot of these things do blow over. They remove Joe Rogan's stuff. People go back on because that's 60% of Neil's streaming, even though Spotify is really more than half that in market share. But it seems to be taking on a life of its own with a lot of people, a lot of artists saying, you know, I don't want my, my stuff on there. That's, that's going to be a problem for Spotify. They need some damage control right away to fix this. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and they are uniquely susceptible to problems like this because it is their sole business. And it's their core business. It's their yeah. core business. So um, it, it's been fascinating to watch. And that's what got my mind thinking is, you know, it, it was in, unthinkable two weeks ago that, or three weeks ago that this, something like this would or could happen. Yet it has happened. And what if it continues? You know, is it just the thread on the sweater that, that you start pulling and suddenly you don't have a sleeve? Yeah. It could be. It could if be. If they don't address it and address it well. I know that Daniel Eck has reached out um, to speak with um, Neil Young, and Neil Young has said, no, thank you. Oh, and so we'll, we'll definitely see where this goes. I've been seeing a slew of ads from Cobuzz and Apple and mm -hmm. other places like, hey, yeah. You want uh, Neil Young? We we got Neil Young and Joni Mitchell right over here. That's right. That's right. And then I noticed on socials this last week about a half a dozen uh, friends of mine who have posted the screenshot of them leaving Spotify. Wow. And that's not good no. uh, for Spotify. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear the phone call between I don't, between either Neil Young or Neil Young's manager, whoever. I don't know who that is now since his his longtime manager passed away um, with whoever at Warner's you make that call to, <laughs> that would have been an awkward call for them, certainly. And, you know, it's just, it brings up all kinds of issues and questions about, you know, could this, had this been even, an even bigger uh, situation, um, what would have happened? Yeah. And, and how would they have reacted? And like you said, so far, um, they weren't, at the very least, they weren't very quick on a response. And, and this was something that needed that damage control yeah. immediately. And they were not, uh, not on yeah. it. So anyway. Yeah. We'll follow it. Yes, we'll we see will. Where this goes. We continue to. It's not off to a good start. All right. Well, let's jump into the chart metric six month report breakthrough music artists and tracks. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to bring it I, up. I, I, I dig the guys over at Chartmetric. I've, I've known these guys for years. Um, stories number one and two here that we're going to talk about are really closely related, and you'll see why in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, but the Chartmetric, uh, every six months, puts out this um, report. They do a lot of great reports. But what you need to know about this report, it, you know, uh, like you just said, six-month report, Breakthrough Music Artists and Tracks, it's as much about that as it is each one of the platforms 
and yes. what has been breaking through um, those platforms, you know, so they'll go through Spotify, they'll go through YouTube, Pandora, you know, and they'll go through TikTok and some socials. And we'll, we'll dig in and some of these, because they take some examples of not only kind of the number one uh, artist to kind of break from each platform, but some of the other ones in the top five or top 10 and what their path was. So this is in, um, they're looking at the second half of last year. So this six month period. So that's why some of these things um, may not be what you think they are. Um, but we start off with, you know, Chartmetric has an artist rank. Um, it was formerly called the cross-platform performance. Um, and uh, what's interesting about it is it's a lot of different metrics. They kind of bake into one. And uh, the first one um, they, they mention on here that it, this metric is really to measure global popularity uh, across streaming, socials. And in the second half of 2021, you know, there are about 10 artists that rose above their peers and um, all of them had TikTok that played a role in their rise, yes. you know, so really cementing that platform as a permanent fixture and breaking music today. And we'll go over TikTok in a second. Um, but as far as their artist rank kind of growth, the number one spot goes to uh, Toronto based um, Real STK. Realist I, K? I, I read it as Realist K. And by I the think way, it's Realist K. I hadn't listened to that before this, and then I checked it out. It's an alternative kind of R and B artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a cool track called WFM. Uh, and what you know, it, it's funny, and I've started noticing this lately. So that track, by the way, I think it's only like a little over two minutes. It's it's really brief, and I'm starting to notice that there's a lot of. You know, in the CD era, it, it, it was like, how long can you make the track? And now it's we're finding, you know, a lot of popular songs are considerably shorter than they. Well, they did were. a story. They did a study, and it's in our next piece where, in the last decade, uh, the length of songs is down thirty-eight mm. seconds. And it's that don't bore us, get to the chorus kind of yes. thing. We'll get to that in the, in the next story. But you're absolutely right in TikTok and some of these little bite-sized chunk things. It's it's really affected that. Yeah. So, and by um, the way, and I, I will also also mention. Yeah, go ahead. This this list of artists, I had heard of maybe two of them. Yeah. And so, and it's making me feel very old. I got to admit, and I and I I'm not even sure how to pronounce some of these artists' names. They was well, to be fair, some of them you know, international. Most of them I hadn't heard of yep. either. Exactly, they're global artists. Yes. And a lot of them are on platforms like TikTok. Um, for example, you know, let's let's take um, the next piece in here. You know, so most viral streaming platforms. The first one is Breakthrough Artists Spotify Monthly Listeners, and seven of the top ten of these artists are TikTok driven. With yeah. Panau uh, number one having you know a quote unquote regular hit cycle. Uh, JID number seven from a Netflix Netflix series song. That's easy for you to say, which I really love that they kind of go into you know, why these things are uh, the breakouts. And they have a graph here that shows Panau over that six-month period, basically starting, you know, with around 2 million monthly listeners. And then by the time you get close to the end, it's 29 million monthly yes. listeners. It's quite, well, quite a growth on Panau. And it's worth repeating what you said there, which is seven of the top 10 rising artists are TikTok-driven. So in case you yeah. you had forgotten how important TikTok can be to artist development, that right there says yeah. it all. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then the next one is uh, breakthrough artist from YouTube for mm-hmm. YouTube channel views. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting. Some of these aren't really even music related, even though low Beeston has some songs out, that's not where she and her husband are getting their popularity. It's really right. more from a, another channel, but the growth is incredible over that six month time. You know, they went from 4.4, 4.5 million, uh, channel views in that six month period to over 200 million. <laughs> I know. You know? I was reading I mean, I'm like, oh that's my in, God. insane growth. And, and yeah. even the next one with um, Pandora, you know, with uh, the growth of CK mm-hmm. went, and you can see down here at the, of this graph that it was really next to zero. Zero, yeah. You know, six months ago and rose to, you know, almost- Five and a half million. 5.5 million, yeah. Uh, Pandora streams. Um, Pandora is a monster. I I use Pandora. Um, I market via Pandora. Um, I love the Pandora stories. I love the data that you can get from Pandora. I think sometimes uh, people forget what a powerhouse uh, Pandora is. So if it's not in your marketing plans, it really should be. Well, and and the and the artist CK, he's a Nigerian Afrobeats star. So you know, again, we, we've we've talked about last week certainly about the international aspect of the music business and how that has blown up considerably over the last, call it a generation even. But, um, yeah. you know, so so a Nigerian artist, historically, you know, pre the new music business, you would never have heard, it, it, highly unlikely you would have known of any anything from, from Africa, you know, in, in the pop charts right. here. But here we have this, uh, here we have CK, and that's that was his origin. And so it is it is a worldwide business, without a doubt. It really is, and I love that about the new music business, is that it's, it's globalized. You can hear music from all these different territories, and there's some territories that are traditionally, they lean more for their local repertoire, like France and Japan, for example. And now, with these platforms, we're able to enjoy that music too, and Truth be told, I'm sure that's uh, played a big um, part in BTS's growth. I mean, they're just a global yes. uh, phenomenon. Um, one of the most exciting parts of this uh, kind of research here is, you know, the breakthrough tracks from TikTok. And they talk about how viral challenges and trends still seem to be the platform's golden ticket, right? Mm-hmm. To, if you're going to develop a hit song or break new talent, it's really about some of those viral challenges and dance crazes and things like that. Um, a crazes do it to it. Number three and faves, uh, baby rhythm. Number seven, both saw a lot of growth thanks to fun dance challenges. Right. Yep. And they use, um, kind of the example for their chart is, um, this, uh, commas, and it went in that six month period from basically, you know, uh, next to nothing all the way in, to the end of, you know, uh, 1,400,000 um, uh, TikTok posts related to, uh, to commas. It's, it's always been just an exciting platform. But the challenge, I think, is some of this isn't really replicatable and some of it mm-hmm. isn't in your control. Now, yeah. to be fair, TikTok does work with labels mm-hmm. and with artists to kind of give them a little push when there's something that um, they think is going to be successful. And that's great. But sometimes things will just pop and it's the fans that decide what they want to dance to or do a challenge on. Right. 
by the way, you know, I do want to mention what I what I really like about this about the chart metric stuff is is like in the case of that art of the Nigerian artist CK, they talk about he blew up on TikTok in early fall of 2021, and then you saw a bunch of it basically skyrocketing on Shazam in September. So people are hearing this, looking it up, and then and then in, uh, and then took off even more uh, on Pandora in no, into November. So that that you know, kind of data wise, looking at the kind of areas that 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 basically are picking yeah. up the interest yeah. in this and and yeah. that's the way things roll these days right fascinating yeah you bring up something really interesting and that is Shazam um, if you have Apple music for artists for yourself or for you know your artists that you mm-hmm. work with you know you since Apple owns Shazam you can get a sense of what's happening with Shazam and it's really fascinating oh yeah the the question I have though, is that it'll show you where you're getting the Shazams uh, geographically, yeah. but it won't show you that this is Mike's coffee shop in Ojai. Mm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I would love to see that sort of data because it drives me crazy sometimes when I have something that starts to really take off on Shazams and I see that it's in certain regions, but who's playing that? Is yeah. it in somebody's... Um, I don't know. Is it in their coffee shop or their, the place they work out? Is it in a chain of stores? I wish I could dig a little bit deeper when it comes to uh, Shazam's. Yeah, and I don't know if that's coming or not. But it, and we've, I think you and I have talked about this. I, by far, for me, the most influential app that I've ever ever come across is Shazam. Because if you're a music fan, you know how pre pre Shazam, you know, you'd be at a grocery store and hear something. It's like, what is that song? I've never heard, you know, or it, yeah, you uh, might jot down a lyric. That's right. And then you'd have to go home and yeah, it it was a headache and a headache, but um, it's Shazam is just such a fantastic, uh, fantastic resource to it. It's a miracle. (laughs) That's the best (laughs) way of saying it. And when I was, you know, I, I I don't think I've mentioned this on the show, but I was in Hawaii a couple of weeks. Oh yeah, we did. I was in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago and Hawaii has its own little music business. It's very interesting. There's a lot of Hawaiian artists as Hawaiian labels and, and they, they get played on radio stations in Hawaii. So it's its own little ecosystem. And there were so many tunes I heard on the radio that I really liked. And of course I had my phone with me. So, so they're now in my Shazam playlist and I never would have that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so handy. You know, we had a, we had an artist um, that blew up last year and had over a million Shazams. And that was because she was featured in a Mm. film, a prominent film. And so that's the other thing is when we're, we, and when I mean we, I mean like people watching television or watching a movie at home, whatever it is, they've got their device in their hand a lot of times or next to them. And when a song comes on, they hit Shazam. Yes, they do. So these sync licenses uh, for film, TV commercials, movies, game, whatever, they've become even more important and uh, it's it's really important for developing artists because, to your point, now it's not a mystery. We don't have to look anything up or you know um, look at Wikipedia or whatever. We just hit a little button on our phone. Oh, that's so and so, and you can buy it or add it to your library. I think that's really cool. Yeah, but again, what I really like about this particular uh, about the chart metric 
uh, chart that they do is they talk about TikTok, they talk about Instagram, they talk about global Shazams, they talk yeah. about Twitter, and 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 they and all of those things. Wikipedia views, even you know, it's like, yeah, of course, you know, if you hear yeah. something, you you Shazam something, you're like. Who the hell's that? And then then I jump over to Wikipedia and I look it up and yeah. see who the hell that is. And that's right. It's I think a lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. And we watch it really carefully. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me on the Twitter followers was that, you know, in the second half of 2021, Korean artists yes. and Latin artists dominated. I find that Twitter is really the least of the social media um, platforms um, that my artists really focus a lot of attention on except for you know there's a couple that are maybe you're a comedian or you've got something uh, that you really want to say but most of them especially if they're a little younger it's really more tiktok instagram um and i noticed this last week that um facebook took its first uh decline since they've been doing business yeah interesting so interesting the the times they are a change in but yeah, I'm still a big fan of, of Wikipedia and watch that really carefully to see, you know, like we had an artist on 60 Minutes a couple times last year. And it was interesting to go and see the amazing jumps in Wikipedia. People are like, who is this? It was a, a, a blind keyboard player, amazing guy, uh, Matthew Whitaker. And the, the numbers just skyrocketed. People watching 60 Minutes grabbed their device, went to Wikipedia, and went, yeah. who the heck is, who this, is kid? this guy? Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. Very cool. Well, a great article. And, and you know, as always, Chartmetric does lovely graphics, and it's really easy to read everything and get a, a sense of what it is. And uh, it's a lot of work to do these charts, just so you know. And so it's absolutely worth downloading and checking it out and looking at their great graphics and kind of seeing yeah. where everything's going. It's fascinating. And um, yeah. we live in miraculous times to have this much information to us and on the, on the artist development side, all of these different platforms and how they, how they work together and kind of how, this, how it's yeah. made. It's, it's unique and challenging times. It really is. And the only thing I would add to that is that it ties beautifully into the second story, mm -hmm. uh, the changing world of A&R from yes. Billboard. Mm -hmm. um, and this is behind the paywall for the, for those of you with your morning coffee. If you don't subscribe, um, we're going to kind of give you a rundown of what this article is all about. But it really ties into the chart metric data was showing you by platform some artists that had broken out. And it says here, as record labels continue to evolve, A&R has changed too. Eight executives break down how. And this piece really illustrates what we just showed you, which is that all of these platforms are used to break artists, but it's so much more than that. A&R is more challenging now, I think, than it's ever been. Well, you know, they, they, they reference um, Ice Ice Baby, which came out in 1990, and that, that's kind of how the story starts. But, you know, when you talk about the changing world of A&R, you know, and by the time 1990 happened, A&R had completely changed from what it originally was. And let's not forget, A&R right. stands for Artists and Repertoire jokingly referred to in our era as artisan restaurants because you would 
<laughs> you would wine and dine expense artists. accounts expense yeah. accounts but um but you know the original a and r guy he he discovered artists and then he gave them songs he searched for repertoire for them this was pre-beatles and so yeah you know, elvis he didn't write his own stuff didn't write any of his tunes exactly although he didn't have an a and r guy either he was he had a pretty good sense of what he what he wanted to do but and you know so studio he had a great studio exactly but that so that kind of that was the origin the origins of the name a and r artists and repertoire so they the the a and r guys were pitched by um by publishing houses to to have artists record their songs so that was the original right. then we had our era our and when we got into the business and now you know it is i mean i i think it's it's safe to say that a and r a and r doesn't start the fire they make the fire bigger you know they don't start the well, campfire Let's back up just a little yeah. bit. You had mentioned A&R when you and I joined the business. It was a different game. And you'll, if you read this piece, they talk about why it was a different game. Mm -hmm. For example, it was really the A&R guy. He was going out to clubs and venues, listening, seeing if there was a lineup around the block. But he also had a network of people at some of these clubs right. and concert venues and saying, um, look, is there a local act that's really starting to blow up? Give me a call. You know, what's going on with your venue, these opening bands, who's like getting people lined up around the block, that sort of thing. It wasn't as data driven, although they would look at radio playlists and see if there mm -hmm. were some unsigned artists that were starting to um, bubble up on these radio playlists. It was it was a, a different game back then. Well, and it's worth mentioning too, when you talk about radio, you know, at the this is kind of pre-conglomerates buying up all the radio stations. And at that time, you know, call it the 70s into the 80s, you could still have regional hits. And so, and the, and the, and the, the folks at the radio station had a lot more power about what they played. And so, so, so they would pay attention in, in those days to those, to those regional radio stations that were picking up on artists that hadn't hit national yet. And it really changed. I mean, it, to me, MTV was what changed it all. And oh, so, huge. Yes. But, but you make a really good point in that <clears throat> radio is sort of homogenized now. You can go to different markets throughout the United States, for example, and basically hear the same playlists on yes. the same stations because these conglomerates have bought them up and it's about ad revenue. But there, there's a gentleman, Peter Ganbarg, um, a and R at SBK back in the day, and he's the one that they talk about who you know picked up uh, Vanilla Ice. But he says that back then A and R research was you know radio station somewhere that's playing an unsigned artist, and the phones are going nuts, or you know there's a record store somewhere that's selling a cassette or album you know on consignment that they can't keep in stock. He's now the president of A and R at Atlantic Records, and he says it was basically scouting, going to clubs a lot, talking to people in different cities a lot of phone calls. But now we just covered that chart metric story. And it's not just chart metric. There's so many of these great platforms, you know, chart metric, vibrate, uh, MRC data. Um, there's, you know, all of these uh, radio trackers, you know, uh, BDS. And there's places where you can be lazy, although I think the good ones aren't. And what I mean by that is, you know, you could just sit in front of a computer and some of these will notify you when something's overperforming. Mm -hmm. I got a notification from one of them uh, a couple of years ago with this artist I was working, Brett James, out of Nashville. And um, he re released a song called True Believer. And as a percentage, it was going up quickly. And I got a couple of phone calls. Hey, tell me about this thing. And Amazon has this really great thing called Movers and Shakers, which is on physical music and on digital music, 
you can look and it's it's kind of this rolling 24-hour period where it it lists you on this chart as a percentage of growth. So it's not just, oh, you're BTS, you're at the top for 10 weeks. No, what it is is let's say you were selling 100 units a week or streaming 100 times a week and then all of a sudden it's 10,000. It's as a percentage of your business. And that's another tool um, that people will look at. People look at Google Trends. Um, they look at all of this data, but... I had mentioned, I think last week, I was talking to an A&R guy and I asked him with all this data, how do you, how do you yeah. choose who you sign for your label? And he said, I look for a lineup around the block to see him play. So I think it's a, a balance of both all of this great data that you have and then also knowing what you're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, one of the things they also mentioned in this about A&R, which, and if you haven't worked at a record label, you wouldn't necessarily understand that. But a big part of A&R is, of course, once you find the artist and sign the artist, it's getting your own company fired up about that artist. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of the cheerleader, you're the internal cheerleader. And, <clears throat> and it's a little different at every label. Um, Certainly, uh, it, it's when I started in the Warner Music Group families, they had uh, typically A&R would sign the artist and record the album. But then once it's done, it gets handed off to the product manager. And that product manager was also, so it was kind of a, a tandem uh, cheerleading process, basically, of, of getting everybody motivated in the company and fired up and understanding what the artist is about and listening to the tracks. And, yep. you know, that's a huge part of the job is, 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 is igniting internal interest well before you even ignite, you know, the consumer interest. It's just getting all the moving pieces in the company kind of marching together. And yeah. that's, that's yeah. hard sometimes. It is, that's a, such a great point. The A&R people that I've worked with in, in my years working for majors, um, some of them are so good at being this evangelist, this cheerleader, and we would have regular meetings. Okay, here are the, the releases we have coming up in this, uh, this next quarter. And the A&R guy would get up there and tell you why you should care. You know, what's yep. the narrative? He'd play some music for you, maybe bring the artist in to talk a little bit about it. But they were constantly pushing uh, and, and helping the artist that you mentioned recording an album, uh, the A&R guy isn't the engineer, he's not the producer, but he is there to help them craft the album that they need and also to be something that they're proud of. Because when you release an album, you have to live with that, you know, for the rest of your mm -hmm. life. And, and a record company has, you know, dozens and dozens of releases for that time period. So the good A&R people really are. Uh, a partner with the artist and management, but that huge evangelist and cheerleader for sales, marketing, you know, PR, sync, touring, all of that. They, they want that artist to, uh, to su succeed in all of those areas. Well, and you know, there's, and you, you also can't underestimate the value of massaging the artist, you know, because, um, artists can be temperamental. Artists can, can, uh, can not can sometimes have a differing opinion of what they want to record than you do as the representative of the record company that's putting all the money down. So, you know, you've got, I mean, they, they, they refer to the, 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 the job as amorphous, which is the, a great line because it's, it's obvious yeah. the things that you have to do, but it's also challenging because they're so diverse and so, um, amorphous, <laughs> you know, and it's different things for different artists. And, um, you know, when, when you, and, and sometimes working with established artists is even harder because, 
you know they've had some and you know having worked in the in the in the music business and and any business that's that's artistic um you know when 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 a when an artist succeeds when it's because of his music or their music uh you never mind the the A&R and the producer and all of the people along the chain but uh when it fails of course it's not their fault it's everybody it's the label's fault and so it it's really mm-hmm. hard to keep artists happy to keep them focused and it certainly is mentioned in this article about about the, the the sort of uh, psychology of working with artists and bringing yeah. them in it's it's it can be challenging and now in this data driven yeah. environment we're in and and as mentioned in the article you know that of course the pan the, the pandemic put a big kibosh on sure you, you can you can't go out and meet artists you can't go out no. and see artists perform no maybe so, you're watching some live streams maybe you're looking at some data and that brings us beautifully to the next point the sub headline is how it's changing. Still, the ubiquity of streaming and social media, its speed, potential for virality, and the enormous amount of data it can yield has done more to change A&R than any other shift in the past few decades, and particularly in the pandemic, as you just mentioned, when the traditional eye test and old school data points of live performance and ticket sales were, you know, they largely disappeared. So, you know, how a song is performing, the engagement level of fans and everything else has ballooned in importance. And there's a part of this article that I'd like to kind of go through with you and like, I'll take the first one, you take the second Mm -hmm. one, because I think this, this whole article really boils down to this thing, this area in the, uh, the end of it. It says, what are you looking for when signing an artist? So they asked this dozen or so A&R people. And I think this is the major takeaway from this piece, which I think is fantastic, by the way. Um, What are you looking for when signing an artist? So Dan Chertoff said, quote, I always listen to two things. One is the song. That's always the most important. The second thing to me is a distinct vocal. Right. And John Coombs said, at the center of it all, it's still just making sure that we're partnering with the artists who are making the music that we want to hear. It's as simple as that. That's been a guiding principle since day one at Secretly, the company he works at. It's, It's ingrained in all of us. Yeah, and Peter Ganbarg, who I referenced earlier, said, it's not about what I think. My opinion doesn't really matter. The only opinion, ultimately, that matters is the people who choose to listen or not to listen to a song. So it's my job to try to connect the dots between the artist, where the artist is and where the people are. I love that. Yeah. Tim Glover says, passion and direction is what they're looking for. I want the artist to have that passion and love for music, but I also want the artist team to have the passion to win. In this day and age, that's almost just as important as the artist. Worth repeating, he said he wants the artist's team to have the passion to win. And that yeah. is, is really, it, 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 it points to how important it is to have a great team. It's, 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 yes. a, it's not just a solo show. It's, there's a lot yeah. of people behind the scenes. Teamwork makes the dream work. There uh, you Sarah Nobby, originality and sound, brand, vision. That's what they're trying to say. Um, knowing who they are, how they differentiate from someone else. You know, we talk about the narrative all the time. You can have influences, but they need to create their own sound. You know what I thought of when when I read her thing? Again, she's saying originality in sound, brand, and vision. You know, we talk about the challenges of artists to be their own marketing people. So this here's an A&R person mentioning um, having a brand and... In the in our day, that was something that the the label helped kind of craft was what the brand is, and now of course A and R people are looking for that already to be happening. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. Um, 
Noah Preston said, a dope personality, different story, just something real that complements the music. It's so easy for fans nowadays to spot something inauthentic. So if I can't clearly define what you are as an artist and as a person, then I can't assume the world will. Mm. And Jeff Sosnow said, with contemporary signings of late, it's having heard a song and sing a remarkable voice and musicality, innate talent and musicality. There's something unusual about that that triggers your sixth sense, you know? <laughs> and then Katie Vinton said, I'm just looking for the kind of artist that reminds me of why I started in music, of how I felt when I first heard when I first heard No Such Thing by John Mayer before he blew up. Those, the, those kind of lyrics and crafting and vision, that to me is a high standard. So yeah, ultimately, yeah, and ultimately we're all fans of music, but, um, you know, and, and it, it, so many things can go off the rails when you when when you sign an artist as an AR as an A and R person, and it's yeah. Well, we have a business that has a ninety three percent failure rate. If you're just looking at kind of mm -hmm. recouping, uh, you know, uh, the commerce side of it, and so you know, it's crazy when you have a business that's art and commerce. Um, I think you can be a success um, outside of the commercial. Uh, side of it in the old music business there was a lot more artist development mm -hmm. i remember these artists would have two three four albums that didn't do super well but then they'd have that breakthrough album and labels stayed with artists uh a lot longer and today it's it's challenging because if you don't hit something in your first uh, few focus tracks you may not be around anymore um but the world of a and r is it's a lot more involved, and I think we've kind of pointed that out with their involvement with the artist, with the label, with the distributor, with uh, all aspects of that. It's not just, oh, I signed this artist because I like this music, and then I'm I'm done. It's it's challenging. Well, and you have you you kind of hit the nail on the head with it. in in the earlier days of the music business, they stuck with artists, and I always reference Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, which is amongst the largest selling albums of all time, and it was their I think their sixth record unheard of in this day and age a, a, a label would never stick with an artist for that long never never look never. at queen same thing mm -hmm. queen didn't hit until you know four or five albums in yep and and that's that's a common story from artists in the 70s i think and even yeah. some in in the earlier 80s um so really great piece um i don't know if we we mentioned that was from dan rise uh, over at billboard pro again behind the paywall there um but we subscribe we suggest that you do too. It's it's well worth it. Um, and our final story today, I know that this will make people's eyes glaze over. So we're going to make this a little bit more fun and really kind of show you what you need to know. But the headline is everything you need, need to know about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. This is from our friends over at Symphonic who do probably the best job of any distributor I know. Um, I know the Orchard's really good too of really doing a, a blog and stories that explain things uh, for their clients and people who aren't necessarily their clients. So this is everything you need to know about NFTs uh, in the music business. Well, and it's, you know, there's so many things to know. And, and it's one of those things that everybody is talking about. Um, it has certainly cooled down since we started talking about it about eight months ago or so, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a forgetting now how long it's been. Um, and I would ask you, are your artists that you're dealing with, are, are they still talking about it? Or is it is it sort of cooled down for everybody in your space? Well, 
Yes, they are the ones that have demand, mm -hmm. right? You, you can't sell an NFT if you don't have a, a base and you don't have demand for that uh, NFT. And just so people know that if, if, you, if you haven't dug into this, you know, you'll see these animated GIF files or you'll see these little digital things and that, that are an MF, NFT and maybe it's a, a looping, cool animated video or something. And you might think to yourself like, well, first of all, why is anybody paying for this? And second of all, I can just copy it and put it on my computer and I have it. The, the, what you're doing with an NFT is you're basically purchasing the bragging rights because mm -hmm. that NFT that you buy is registered on the blockchain and it's provable that you own it. And not only that, you could resell it and down the road and make more money potentially, but you also participate in that secondary sale. So if you have a painting and I sell it to you, uh, Mike, and you sell it for $1,000 more than what you paid for it, I don't get any more money. But right. if that's an NFT, I do. So think about it as a virtual collectible uh, for, for your uh, fans. And there are... Some of them are really cool. The people that were early in the space, you know, like Blau, they had some that sold for a lot of money. Um, and that's sort of calmed down a bit. And if you ever want to get a good grip on that market, um, Sherry Hu has a, a Patreon. And with that Patreon, she has this really cool um, database that you can look at um, pretty much every music nft that mm -hmm. has been sold and you know what um cryptocurrency was used what marketplace you know you can even click on it and see what it was and you can see if it was an auction if there were multiples you know all of that stuff so it's really interesting to kind of see and you can sort that by a lot of different ways by artist by label by whatever and I'm going to put um, a link up in the show notes for uh, a YouTube video that's uh, that, that's been going yeah. around called "Line Goes Up: The Problem with NFTs." It's it's almost two hours, I think. It's it's not uh, it's a commitment, but it's a fascinating, critical look at NFTs. And and I do want to mention, you know, when they talk about NFTs in the music business, it says. It's important to note that what has driven the success of bigger NFT projects is that there is a strong sense of community amongst the owners of those NFTs. Music it NFTs is. are much more likely to be successful if an artist already has a strong uh, core fan base and has expressed interest in buying NFTs from the artist. Um, th th that that fan base. So, you know, it's this is not for developing artists for the most part. This is really for folks that have an, a large established. Uh, fan base and that is kind of also interested in this advanced tech new technology stuff in general so that's kind of a broad generalization but you better yeah. have a pretty successful artist to, to even start contemplating these things that's right that's yes. right and i think you know you had asked the question if you know my my artists are doing these and yeah the ones that have demand but they're not looking for the quick kill they're looking yeah. to put it as part of their release cycle as another offer you know with merch and experiences and sync and touring and all of these things as well as sales streams and downloads as another offer for those fans that are interested in these things right i did a when a couple of years ago sherry who started reporting on on nfts and web 3.0 which you can think of as kind of the virtual world, you know, like if you're buying a, a sword for your player in a virtual game or an outfit or a room or whatever it is, that's Web 3.0 for an example. It's virtual goods. And when she started talking about NFTs, I was thinking, you know, like, why would anybody do that? But then you watch the numbers and fans want to invest in their favorite artists 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's that. So what I did is I went in and bought one um, just to see what the process was. So I got some cryptocurrency in this case, you know, Ethereum connected it to a wallet, connected that wallet to a marketplace, purchased uh, the NFT. And then, um, you know, I've watched kind of the value of that cryptocurrency and of that NFT. No, I'm not in this to, you know, make any money. This was really more to learn and it was a very small NFT. But what I learned was it's really arduous. It's really a process that you got to want it. You got to be kind of geeky to get in there and do it. Now, of course, there's all sorts of platforms that are making it easy uh, to do this if you don't want to go through all the steps that I just described. And one that I think is really exciting that I was talking to you about earlier um, one of the platforms is one of, um, they're part of uh, Quincy Jones uh, companies. And what what's unique about that is a lot of people don't know that when you mint an NFT, there's a huge like carbon footprint from that. Right. There's a lot of energy that's used and a lot of pollution that's caused and all sorts of things. It's, it's crazy. You wouldn't think that, but if you, you, you dig into it, you'll see that, right? And what I love about one of is that it's really more of a green approach yeah, uh, right. to doing it. So as you're looking to um, mint uh, NFTs and offer them, you know, do your research first, look at like competitive artists, definitely check out Sherry who's Patreon and that, that information that she has that database. Look at platforms like one of that maybe have a little bit greener uh, approach. And something you mentioned to me earlier, Mike, is that there's a lot of people in this space that, uh, are gaming the system mm-hmm. and and are nefarious. You have to be careful who you deal with because you could lose a lot in a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it is I- I- intrinsically connected to cryptocurrency. So there is no getting around that. You're not going to use PayPal to buy something. Um, and that's you know the as they mentioned the four steps to setting up NFTs is to create a digital wallet, purchase cryptocurrency, mint an NFT, and connect the wallet to a marketplace. So there is a there's a lot of steps, and again you know it's it is really for artists that have to that that, that already have a, a big following, and it's not going to be a developing artist. And the article goes through kind of pointing out some of the pros and the cons of of mm-hmm. it and um you know and it's you know just personally my whole and i, I think some of this comes from a, a a bit of an ignorance but my you know the whole thing with cryptocurrency is you know i'm already a little bit skeptical of cryptocurrency i'll just that's just me and so when you when you and then when you factor nfts as part of that too i I just get it kind of makes my head spin and that's why the link to the youtube video is there he really lays it out Uh, again it's a it's a very critical it's a it's a critical video he he is he is critical of of the way it works and some of the challenges of of creating them but it's really worth interest getting a full overview of it but it's a commitment to watch that video too it's a good two hours but you know some of the pros are it does offer a new form of revenue and allows for fans to directly support the artists they love okay we love that um and it allows artists they can create a more secure transfer of ownership of intellectual property like songs than the current model the transfer of ownership via blockchain can be recorded as you mentioned jay by smart by smart contracts and and processed within seconds and 
ticketing for live and virtual events has been dogged by inefficiency, bots, scalping, hidden fees, and counter mm-hmm. counterfeits for a long time. NFTs make scamming nearly impossible, allowing for much more clear transfer of ownership and easier verification verification and can prevent secondary sales if it is written into the smart contract. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay yeah. with those things. But then you talk about the cons, and of course we mentioned it's you know for emerging artists it's it's really not an option. There's no um, demand. Exactly, scarcity, digital scarcity needs to be manufactured in this case. For example, when you perform virtually, you would have to create a limited number of tickets to make it appear valuable. And although this exclusivity brings in higher price tags at marketplaces, it excludes many of the artists' fans when it was not necessary to do so. And that's a really important point to mention. You know, you're creating this scarcity, and that's almost counterintuitive to, to uh, you know, kind of building your fan base. So you've got that yeah. going on. They also mentioned bubble trouble. Could this be the new dot com bubble? And that's mm. what this YouTube video talks about. By Are the way, op- let me let me interject yeah, sure. really quickly there. While you say bubble trouble, um, Will Page has one of my favorite podcasts, and it's called Bubble Trouble. Mm. It's not necessarily all about music, but you know he used to be the chief economist at Spotify, so he definitely has a take yeah. on it. And if you haven't seen his book Tarzan Economics, it's, oh, it's my fantastic. favorite book of the last year. But when you mentioned Bubble Trouble, I thought of his his podcast, and they talk about these things uh, quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. And another con is intellectual property. Given the newness of the technology and the complexity of copyright laws worldwide, smart contracts in a decentralized system could easily run into issues. No kidding. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it is... Um, it is something if you're involved with artists, you need to know about, and it yeah. may be an option. It may not be for you, but, um, yeah, it's really, not for everyone. Yeah, right? it's not, but it's a really good, so, so certainly check out the article on, on Symphonic's blog. And then uh, if you get a chance, check out the, the link to the YouTube video that we'll be putting in the show notes and, uh, it'll yeah. certainly get you up to date and you'll be able to have a cogent conversation with others about yeah. it. I think this is one of the best. I love that video that you shared with me and I'm glad you're sharing that, but I think this piece from symphonic really um is everything you kind of need to know is this right for you should you be in this space even if you aren't ready yet um this gives you the background to know how it works um so i highly recommend this from our friends over at symphonic indeed and on that note jake can you believe it? It's time to wrap up episode number 78. Uh, we, definitely want, we definitely want to thank uh, our great sponsors, the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Gosh darn it, we couldn't do it without them. Appreciate it. Appreciate it much. So on behalf of my good friend Jay Gilbert, we certainly appreciate you all that listen in because without you, we wouldn't do this and couldn't do this. So we know there's a bunch of choices out there, so many great podcasts, but the fact that uh, all of our, our f- uh, friends and fans listen into this is uh, super, we are super appreciative yeah, of that. So sure. thanks for listening in the, today. We'll be back next week with episode 79 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.